0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi,
2: everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're talking about the effects of stress and the pelvic floor. Oh, you know, if you've listened to Yoga Birth Babies, you know I love talking about diastasis and the pelvic floor. And we went so deeply into the relationship of stress, what that does to your nervous system, what that does to your hormonal system, and what that does to your pelvic floor. It was fascinating. And the first part of our conversation had very little to do with the actual pelvic floor muscles. It was a lot about other parts of the body that we need to attend. To to help the pelvic floor free itself from the effects of stress, it was fascinating. I absolutely love this conversation. So. I invited Haley Kava on. She is a physical therapist that focuses in the pelvic floor. Let me tell you a little bit about her. So Haley Kava, pelvic floor PT, never wanted to be a pelvic floor physical therapist. She then gave birth for the first time and realized that labor, birth, and postpartum recovery was the most physically and emotionally demanding thing she had ever done she, through her recovery, she realized that all people with pelvic floors deserved more information and empowerment about how to address their common, but often taboo issues. So she created Haley Kava Physical Therapy from this passion to spread this information and to ensure that no person feels alone in dealing with any pelvic floor problem. And Haley was so gracious with her information that I just was thrilled through this conversation. I was if you could see me, I was smiling and giddy because when we start talking pelvic floor, we start talking about how people can relieve some of their discomforts and especially if someone can have a more functional birth because their pelvic floor and their physicality is more functional that is what fuels me. So I was just absolutely thrilled with this conversation. I am sure you're going to enjoy it. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you that you can run over to our website prenatalyogacenter.com and download your free downloadable 5 simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. And you can also think that is perfect for postpartum because Why live in discomfort when there can be some easy solutions to that? So go grab that. And then while you're on the website, check out our schedule page so we can take classes together. So we've got live stream classes. We've got re-releases. We've got some on-demand classes and workshops. And for listeners of Yoga Birth Babies, you can get $10 off any yoga package, an eight class card or a monthly unlimited for pre or postnatal with the code YBB10, YBB, Yoga Birth Baby 10. So check out our schedule page, sign up for a class, enjoy a discount, and make sure that you say hi. And then the last thing I just want to share before we head into this wonderful conversation is about our teacher training. People have been asking what we're planning on doing. So what we're seeing now is for the next few, they're going to be online. At least the next one coming up, we're going to do March and April online. And then we're going to re-examine our in-person. And I'm feeling really hopeful that we should be back in person. So keep an eye on our website for that. It's a very in-depth, very pelvic floor friendly teacher, training. We talk a lot about the anatomical and physiological changes of the pregnant body, what yoga poses can help somebody have a more efficient and functional birth. We talk a lot about childbirth education and how we can bring that into our yoga classes. So it's something I'm passionate about. I'm really excited that it has continued to evolve. And if this is authentic and rings true for you, and you're getting an idea that this is something you want to study, check it out on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. Okay, we're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Haley.
0: Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, low. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Hi, Haley. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks I, for having me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I love talking about the pelvic floor. It's. I truly think I should have been like a pelvic floor PG instead of a yoga teacher. But it's one of my passions. So when you said you would talk about stress in the pelvic floor, I was so excited. So thank you yes yes i it um i I never intended
3: to be a public floor physical therapist I actually uh, didn't take uh, we had a, a women's or public health elective in pt school and was like no I don't I don't want to deal with pee and poop all the time <laughs> and then uh, after when I was pregnant with my first son I was like oh my gosh teach me all the things about the public floor. How come I didn't?
2: Oh, really? <laughs> and That's then, so uh, interesting.
3: Yeah. And then, and then wanted, uh, really took a, a, a turn in my career, uh, after, you know, dealing with those things myself. And now I'm, I'm a t- total public floor nerd. So, um,
2: Oh, tell me a little more about yeah. that. So how long were you a PT before you had your child? And then what was it like going back to learn this cuz it's definitely different than general physical therapy.
3: Yeah, so so I was um I played uh, volleyball at Syracuse University um and so was always in athletics and dealing with my own athletic injuries uh and so uh, in PT school and and right after PT school worked in sports medicine um at a university and working with athletes. Um, and then met my husband who's in the military and we moved um, to North Carolina and was working with military athletes and, um, you know, primarily military members. And um, yeah, um, was in, uh, personally was dealing with a lot of um, old injuries that were causing me problems and then working with people with a lot of chronic pain issues um, and found a practice of physical therapy called postural restoration um and that is just a subspecialty of physical therapy which is what um is rooted roots all of my my practice and um through that we talk a lot about the pelvic floor and breathing and asymmetries and so i had my interest in the pelvic floor was kind of peaked when i started learning more about pri was what we how we call it, postural restoration and um, and then again, yeah, probably I'd probably been practicing as a PT for four or five years um, when then my husband and I uh, decided to have our first baby. And yeah, and that's really when I um, realized that in our community, in my area and for myself, there was just such a lack of support um, in for throughout pregnancy and particularly in, in postpartum and really pelvic floor problems at any time. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so after I had my son and was dealing with some personal public floor problems and trying to get the help that I needed and couldn't find it, I just became the public floor PT I needed.
2: That's <laughs> it was, so uh, interesting. So was, were you uh, able selfish. to, <laughs> were you able to step back in your physical therapist mind and be like, okay, I'm having these issues. What could that mean? And how do I deal with it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, so, um, so the, uh, so I was dealing with sort of symptomatic pelvic organ prolapse mm-hmm. and, uh, I knew that I didn't have an issue with muscle weakness and that when I would get my pelvic floor muscles assessed, it checked, I could contract strongly. And so, It was confusing (laughs) because I was like, well, everything I've, I've sort of heard or what everyone's telling me up to this point is that if I'm dealing with this symptom, it must mean that I have weakness. Um, in, and in fact, it was the, you know, the opposite of not necessarily direct opposite, but it was about coordination and about balance in the pelvic floor muscles versus, um, Versus just it's strong, it's too, too tight or it's too weak. Mm -hmm. And so via, uh, understanding asymmetries and balance of the pelvic floor through my postural restoration training and then layering in the pelvic floor training, um, kind of helped me sort that all out for my, myself and, and for other
2: people do. <laughs> oh, I love hearing that because I think so many of us come to where we need to work because we're an experience. My first child, the pushing was forever. The labor was forever. And my pelvic floor was not happy during any of it. <laughs> and there was a lot of rehab from that. And it really got me interested in the pelvic floor work and then how I work with my prenatal students. And you totally hit it. It's about balance that... Mm-hmm. I know in my body it was totally imbalanced and that's why, and in many bodies, that's why labor can be more challenging and then the rehab after can be confusing. So. Mm-hmm. You totally hit it. I think we're going to have a great conversation because I think we're very much on the same page, but I guess we should start to back up. So if anyone is brand new to this podcast, they let's go over just a very basic review of what is the pelvic floor in case someone clicked on, they're like, what is this thing they're speaking about (laughs) (laughs) and why it's so important for it to be well balanced and healthy? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think
3: one of the biggest things um, that I like to explain to my clients is that the pelvic floor is living lives in the bottom of our pelvis. So our our pelvic bones, really where kind of our hips come out of, starts at our pubic bone in the front. So where our where our two pelvic bones meet in the middle, and then um, the muscles kind of start underneath there, and then they span under and they they cross all the way across to our two sit bones. So if you you kind of rock back and forth on your seat or on your chair, the two kind of bony um, parts of the bottom are our two sit bones. So our pelvic floor spans from the pubic bone in the front to the sit bones in the side, and then they join up at the tailbone in the back. So it's this, this sort of bowl of muscles that live in the bottom of our, our pelvis. Um, and that it lives inside of this container of the, the pelvis and it's the bottom of our core system. And so it's um it functions with our abdominal muscles in the front, our back muscles in the back, and then our diaphragm at, at the top. So the diaphragm being the muscles that are underneath our lungs um, at the top. And so so the pelvic floor is sort of the one quarter of that entire core system. But um Yeah. But the pelvic floor muscles are at the bottom and they have, um, a bunch of major functions that are really, really important for our life. (laughs) And so, um, they have sphincteric function, which basically means they stop our, our pee and poop from coming out of our body when we don't want them to and letting them out when we do. And same thing for, for, uh, people who have vulvas can let babies out. Um, the they have stabi- They provide stability, so they can help stabilize our our pelvis and our back and our our hips. They have um, uh, uh, support function, so they help keep our pelvic organs inside of our body, which is good. And um, they have sexual function, so they um, are play a role in arousal and orgasm, and our you know enjoyment of of sexual activities. And, and they also act like a sub pump. And so if anyone's ever had like varicose veins, uh, or vulvar varicosities, um, the pelvic floor helps play a role in that venous blood return. And so, um, a, a relatively sort of hidden group of muscles that we don't think about a lot have a lot of really important Important functions.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So most people don't think about them until they are forced to think about them when something goes wrong. And then like all they can think about is (laughs) pelvic floor, pelvic floor. Can you talk about the importance of the balance? Kind of like what we were talking about earlier, that not too tight, not too loose, but I think of it kind of like a trampoline. It has to be strong and supple at the same time.
3: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And so, so the, just like um, any other muscle in our entire body, Right, uh, an elbow or so our bicep, um, needs to be able to straighten all the way and bend all the way in order to be optimally functional. So if you want to reach across the table and grab your coffee cup, you not only need to have, um, sort of strength in your bicep, but you actually need to be able to lengthen your bicep, um, and then, and then recoil it back, back in. And so, so in order to um, have all of the functions of the pelvic floor working well. It both needs to know how to fully lengthen and expand as well as, yeah, contract and contract and lift up and do so with, with coordination and do so with, um, yeah, uh, reflexivity that, that we shouldn't necessarily have to think about all the time.
2: Mm. So let's dive into the effects of anxiety and stress on the pelvic floor. Cause I feel like so many people, Walk around in a state, or maybe just me. I don't think it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> anxiety, no, and stress, not. <laughs> and I don't think people think, but it can really affect the pelvic floor.
3: Yeah.
2: So the the
3: um, so kind of back up on sort of anxiety and stress is that we have have two kind of major halves of our our nervous system. So we have our autonomic nervous system and we have our somatic nervous system. And our autonomic nervous system is um, things that we really don't have control over. And our somatic is things that we do have voluntary control over. And so our, our autonomic nervous system is into two parts, and it has our sympathetic nervous system and our parasympathetic nervous system. And so our sympathetic is our fight or flight response, and our parasympathetic is our rest and and digest. And so we think about kind of what happens in our body when we get scared by something. And we kind of take a breath of air in, we gasp, we maybe kind of arch our back a little bit to kind of prepare ourselves for running or for fighting. And, um, and 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 we'll, we kind of tighten our, our bodies up, and if that changes our body from a chemical perspective. That changes our body from a postural perspective, and the pelvis, as a movable um, you know structure of bones, um, when we when a, we are our sympathetic nervous system, our stress response, our anxious expo- response is activated, um, it can change those postural positions, which can impact the tension that we experience in our, in our pelvic floor, Mm -hmm. um, from a kind of direct postural standpoint, but, um, but also from a, uh, a chemical and sort of uh nervous system standpoint, um, the, those, those impacts can, can create, um, yeah, different r- responses in our digestive system and our bladders and our, in our, uh, gut that can also, um, have impacts on, on that pelvic floor function as well.
2: Is that why when people are nervous, they have to pee? Yeah, <laughs> it can be, <laughs> it can be nervous peeing.
3: It can be, um, nervous pooping. <laughs> can oh, be, I didn't know about um, nervous pooping. So, That's so interesting. Like before, um, before marathons, right? You want to, the bathrooms are usually uh, packed and usually don't smell great. <laughs> and so our, um, our, when our sympathetic nervous system is sort of activated, um, we would typically think that it would kind of constrict, right? We would, we would, we would kind of tighten up and it would be advantageous from a, from a fight or flight standpoint to not have to empty our bladder and not have to empty our bowels, which can happen. But sometimes when our sympathetic nervous system goes into a little bit of overdrive, the system then decides, Oh, let's actually eliminate. Let's get rid of everything we have um, in order to lighten the load so that we can run faster. We can fight better. Or um, in the case of bowel movement, sometimes it's like scare off uh, a predator. (laughs) 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 um, Yeah, exactly. Uh, In In PT school, um, our practical exams were called oskies, and we—I lived with two other girls from my class, and we called it OSCE bowel syndrome. <laughs> you'd, uh, you'd, yeah, you'd just digestively have a little bit of fecal urgency and um, urinary urgency, and all those things that would would come on as well.
2: I had not thought of that until I had this conversation. I'm like, that is so yeah. And now I'm like thinking about I was just reading a book where a character got scared and he wet himself and I'm like, oh, I get it now. Like I see the the response of, of yeah. the nervous system there. So yeah, absolutely. It's like, um ever um the
3: experience of like being in target and getting the urge to need to go to the bathroom and the fear of not being able to find the bathroom because it's an unfamiliar place drives up that urge. Even more, right? And so then we're, we're scrambling to make it, (laughs) to make it there. Um, and so, um, we can use different strategies to kind of hack our nervous system via, you know, deep breaths or different movements in order to kind of dampen that, that nervous system response.
2: Well, let's dip into that. So what are some of your favorite methods when somebody's feeling like they have a very overly engaged pelvic floor? What are some of your ways of helping it to get into more of a relaxed state?
3: Yeah. So, so, um, without going too deep into the vagus nerve, right. The vagus nerve is a really, um, kind of hot topic right now. There's a number of really, I feel like I've heard a lot about it recently. (laughs) There's a lot of really great books out right now, all about the vagus nerve and, and it's called the traveler, um, because it, you know, it originates in our, it's a cranial nerve. So it starts up in our, in our brain and it travels all throughout um, kind of our body all the way into our digestive system. It helps control our heart rate. It helps control our breathing rates through, runs through our diaphragm, runs around our stomach and into our, into our, you know, intestines and um, ways that uh, often when my clients are dealing with a lot of pelvic floor tightness, a lot of stress sort of focusing all of our attention on trying to force the pelvic floor to relax is almost more stressful <laughs> than um, trying to look outside. Look at other. How are? What are some other ways we can stimulate this sort of vagus nerve or this parasympathetic nervous system response? And so we have um, sympathetic and parasympathetic nerve centers in the roof of our mouth. So uh, breathing with the tongue elevated and or um, using the tongue to stimulate the roof of the mouth um, chewing our food. We also have, um, uh, those nerve centers around our esophagus. So really chewing our food and enjoying our food, um, and swallowing after chewing a lot can stimulate some of that, um, different strategies of releasing the neck and the throat. Um, and, um, and then also a lot of breathing activities that focus on the posterior rib cage expansion are a a few different ways that we can, we can stimulate that, that parasympathetic response. So, um, yeah, singing, humming, um,
2: breathing into balloons, breathing into kazoos. Um, um, I love that a lot of this has nothing to do with focusing on the release of the pelvic floor. That yeah. it's, we, st- we can start because I think sometimes people can think like, okay, I got to release my pelvic floor. I got to learn how to engage to release, but that can feel overwhelming. I think if it's very unfamiliar to somebody, but the idea of chewing and breathing. And I've been a big nerd about the. The back and side ribs. So when you said that, I got a little giddy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so we can start at an area that has nothing to do with the pelvic floor to learn mm-hmm. how to relax. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah,
3: yeah. To really, really, if if the the pelvic floor often is the, is the victim, right? It's, it gets a lot of the attention. Maybe the symptoms are showing up there, um, but there was a cascade of other things that happened first, and so. In the unwinding process of trying to um, re-regulate those pelvic floor muscles, yeah, we we don't have to we don't have to hit on it so so directly. I think um, I think that's sometimes a barrier to people even going to pelvic floor PT because the assumption is is that they're gonna you know to my maybe potentially painful pelvic floor or healing pelvic floor um, you know get in there and release it very aggressively and and, and do things that might be uncomfortable when. And that's not the case at all, that um, there's so many things that we can do to help manage the nervous system and manage, um, manage the causes of this tension um, that can be so effective and so great.
2: At what point do you start to work on some muscle lengthening. So I'm thinking about like, sometimes I'll do like happy baby with my students or try to release around the piriformis or gentle mm-hmm. squats. Where When does that play in? Or maybe that doesn't quite yet.
3: Yeah. It's, I would say it's sort of integrated into those activities. So um, I really like a... Um, Sort of modified child's pose where we actually bring the knees in really close um, and let abdomen rest on the thighs mm-hmm. in order to um, help give a little bit of feedback as to where air flow is going. So is all of that airflow going straight into belly, or can we get some of that airflow directed into the that posterior thorax and into mm-hmm. that lateral thorax? Um, and often what we'll find there, is once people can appreciate the expansion of the posterior and lateral thorax, they can actually also appreciate that how that air can also move down into their back pockets, into their posterior pelvic floor, mm-hmm. which is anatomically um, and uh, just sort of typically the area where we tend to hold more of that tension, more in the posterior sort of outlet of the pelvic floor, if you will, versus um the front. Mm-hmm. And so if we support the front of the pelvic floor with adductors and abdominal support um and expand rib cage, we can we can start cueing people into feeling that posterior pelvic floor lengthening pretty much right, you know, right away and we can integrate that into some of those other activities
2: yeah as and going well. I start a lot of my post my postnatal classes as we do that, and sometimes I put a blanket between the thighs mm-hmm. and the belly um but yeah. with, and I always feel like I just went to the chiropractor because I feel like my back goes like it just yeah. and I really breathe into that, but I'm thinking more of my pregnant students where we where we mm-hmm. can't necessarily get into that tight um child's pose with that resistance so,
3: yeah I, so we can um we can do that in like using their own internal kind of um internal activation of of that so like good long exhales um, and so um, our exhalation is going to um stimulate more of that parasympathetic response mm-hmm. and then the exhalation in and pause so sort of fully getting um lungs empty as possible and then kind of staying in that that empty state um, actually changes our pH a little bit. We get a little bit hungry for, for oxygen. Carbon dioxide starts building up in our system a little bit. And that in itself uh, will flip a nervous system uh, slightly more into parasympathetics. And we get this then reflexive, um, beautiful, big opening after sort of a, a pause at the end of an exhalation. Um, and so... Um, we can, we can support someone maybe if they can't support abdomen as, as much maybe side bodies and getting more lateral and posterior expansion. Um, and, and with that feeling, oh, my rib cage really opened up. Ah, and I could feel that air move all the way down into my pelvic floor muscles and, and lengthen as well.
2: That is, I think that's a great way to start to refocus. It's not just about, I mean, it's really that kinetic chain that so much mm-hmm. of our body, it's not just, we don't live in a vacuum. It's not like the back lives in its own space and then the like it's, there is that, that connection. Oh, I love absolutely. that. So yeah, here, gonna absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, let's start to talk about the hormonal response to stress and the pelvic floor and pelvic pain. We'll be right back.
1: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
0: Ch-ch-chumba.
1: ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: All right. So how does the hormonal response to stress affect pelvic floor and pelvic pain?
3: Yeah. So, So we have sort of three big stress hormones and, and I will caveat this by saying I'm not a hormone expert, but, um, I can, yeah, I can talk about it. (laughs) Um, so we have adrenaline, um, cortisol and, or sorry, adrenaline and norepinephrine, uh, and cortisol. Um, and so, um, Adrenaline and norepinephrine are more immediate response. So we, um, we get scared by something. We get these fast spikes of our, of these two hormones and then it gradually kind of tapers off. And that tapering off period could take, you know, a couple hours to potentially, you know, a day or so. And then, um, and so that's usually pretty, pretty fast, pretty immediate. We might move into like a more, um, tightened, uh, response, our breathing might accelerate a little bit with that. And that could, could play into some pelvic floor, floor tension, but generally that's going to be a more rapid, you know, uh, good response. And I think sometimes we, we think that stress responses are, are always bad. Um, but this normal spike and fall of, of, of these sort of stress hormones is okay. It's, it's how we live. A little bit of stress is okay. Um, and then cortisol is our sort of slower response stress hormone. Um, and it's made in our sort of deeper brain. Um, and the amygdala and hypothalamus are sort of really deep old brain structures, um, help control this, this cortisol function. And so, um, what I find um, really interesting about cortisol and how it's produced really in that deep old brain that we have um, is that um, the hypothalamus is actually very close anatomically to the back of our nose. So if you look at a uh, look at a skull, um, the roof of our mouth and the base of our nose, and then just behind our nose is you know, brain-wise is really where that hypothalamus is. And so um if we um, are breathing in, a, you know, a more extended pattern where we're breathing more through our mouth, we're breathing more with ribs flared, and we're kind of extending our back using our accessory muscles of respiration. So our back muscles, our neck muscles to help pull air in when we're just breathing. Um, at rest when, um, when there's nothing extremely stressful or difficult that our body is doing, we're going to sort of stimulate this, um, cortisol production. And then the cortisol production will feed more of this, um, sort of sympathetic response as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that can again all play into some of that, that pelvic floor muscle tension and, and kind of disorganization. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, this sort of constant upregulation of, of cortisol and stress response, um, potentially with like lack of sleep, which is big for postpartum <laughs> clients. Yeah. Is that, you know, one night of, of poor sleep can upregulate our cortisol for a few days. And so, um, so the breath, breathing, sleep, and cortisol and stress hormones and the pelvic floor are all really, really tightly interconnected. Um, and so, um, from a from a physical therapy perspective, <clears throat> why this is is important to me is because uh, two ways we can we can hack some of that cortisol production via how we're teaching people how to breathe and stimulating the roof of our mouth with the tongue elevated to the roof of our mouth, nasally breathing, and teaching our rib cage and our thorax how to expand and compress, you know, naturally um, will help coordinate with the pelvic floor. Um, but also things like ensuring that our clients are, while they're sleeping, are also breathing well. Mm. So um, something that goes really un- underdiagnosed in, in uh, female clients is sleep apnea and sleep airway sleep disorders. And Actually, in pregnancy, um, women's risk of sleep apnea goes up quite a bit, just based on the postural changes and the um, fluid level changes that happen in pregnancy. And so, sometimes the the stress response and the pelvic floor tension response that we that we see in pregnancy and postpartum also is related to the sort of poor sleep dynamics. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, sometimes a, a thing that I'll prescribe for people who fe- it seems like this stress response is kind of overwhelming their their ability to really heal the way we'd like is either um, seeing about getting a sleep study um, or um, sometimes it's as simple as let's try some Breathe Right strips for a couple nights.
2: It's so funny you said that. I tell students about that all the time of like, have yeah. you tried these? And they, yeah. they look silly, but I've heard they really work. Yeah. So, so, um,
3: so we talked earlier about how the diaphragm and the pelvic floor kind of mirror each other in that core, core system. Mm -hmm. Another diaphragm that we have in our body is the roof of our mouth, our soft palate. Mm -hmm. And so, um, posturally we want these domes to kind of function together. And if we're perpetually in this sort of, Stress response, um, stress breathing response, and we're not getting that good soft palate support from a postural standpoint, from our you know tongue positioning standpoint. Yeah, we can we can um, can really have a have a big impact. And yeah, so something is something as silly as a as a breathe right strip on your nose, a nasal strip on your nose, can um, have a really big big.
2: Impact, yeah. yeah. Big
3: impact, yeah. So sure.
2: when someone comes in and they've been having any sort of pelvic pain, do you step back and look at the whole holistic person checking in mm-hmm. what's their stress level, what looking at their posture, looking at their sleep habits. I like the idea that it's not just again muscles living in a vacuum.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny, I'd say probably like sixty percent oh, maybe little, maybe forty percent of the time. Um, and an initial evaluation, really, regardless what it, their, the diagnosis is, is we actually um, decide together because you know care should be collaborative, is that that we actually decide we're going to hold off on our pelvic floor muscle exam the first day, um, main, mainly because um, we do. I do want to take such a look at the whole at the whole picture and. Um, really understand what are some of these other things that could be impacting the the pelvic floor function. And particularly in cases of a lot of pelvic floor muscle tension or a lot of pelvic pain, um, we know that if we aren't addressing some of these other things first, that pelvic floor muscle exam experience isn't going to be very good, right? It's going to be tender. It's going to be uncomfortable and painful. And we don't, you know, we'd rather not have that happen at our first, at our first meeting. And so, um, so we really want to come up with a, a global plan, um, come up with some really good strategies and, and um, see those, those symptoms start to change. And then once we see those symptoms start to change, then we can, uh, um, then we can explore more of the the public floor directly.
2: Mm-hmm. So with, I'm just coming back to thinking about pregnant folks and new parents and the level of exhaustion and and maybe that low cortisol stress. Mm -hmm. Is that showing up more in pelvic pain because of the, this when you're so exhausted. Like I just immediately, I think exhaustion, my posture kind of falls apart. Yeah. Are you, yes. is it because, or is that one symptom? Because when we're exhausted, we go into that forward head movement. I call it the chicken neck and, yep. and then we're, yes. we're caving in and then the diaphragm's not really working. So is the mm-hmm. pelvic pain just kind of like the last domino that falls and really it's everything that led up to that? Is that, is that making sense That's, where we're going?
3: Yeah, that would be, that would be kind of my, yeah, my thoughts on it too. Yes. That, um, that the pelvic floor is, is yes, is also integrated into our, our nervous system and can, um, you know, can, you know, can either tighten or release based on some of those, those nervous system impacts. But I really think it's, it, yeah it's postural. It's about it's about the container. So if the container is out of whack, whack, then the pelvic floor is going to be out of whack. And so, um, yeah, it's like not, I don't like to blame the pelvic floor for anything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's really, it's the scapegoat. The poor pelvic floor is the last thing that shows up. So what kind of pelvic floor pain are people coming to you for typically?
3: Yeah, it can be, um, it can be painful intercourse. It can be pain with trying to put in a tampon or a menstrual cup. Um, it can be, um, just even skin, like, um, the superficial vulvar skin, um, is, you know, the superficial pelvic floor muscles and the superficial, um, vulvar skin can get very irritated, um, and very sensitized when, um, the muscles underneath are also kind of holding a lot of, a lot of tension. So, um, so, um, even just the, the contact of their own underwear or their own pants, um, on their, on their uh, vulvas can be, can be uncomfortable. Um, and not so much pain, but, um, issues with like sensations of heaviness and fullness in the, in the pelvis or, or vulva varicosities and things like hemorrhoids. Um, Constipation are all, are all big um, indi- um, indicators that there's um, pelvic floor muscle imbalance and tension, um, urinary, like bladder pain, incomplete emptying of the bladder, chronic UTIs, all sorts of, all sorts of things like that.
2: And so then you would, again, kind of assess the big picture. Do you ever mm-hmm. prescribe meditation as like homework for them? Yeah, uh, a lot of times I'll, uh, I, I, like to recommend
3: depending on, on where they're at, but, um, I really enjoyed using the gentle birth app throughout my second pregnancy. So it's a, um, like a hypno birthing type, um, app that also has mindfulness tracks and meditative tracks, um, um, headspace, like all of those, you know, other different types of apps. Absolutely. That could be part of someone's uh program for sure. So yeah,
2: so we can start there and then try to get people out of that. And I feel like especially now in you know, in a pandemic and just I mean oh, it, which yeah. is a lot. And then pregnancy <laughs> and new parenthood is a lot on a, a good day. And mm-hmm. if we from what I'm hearing and again I'm just kinda of throwing these ideas in my brain around, if we could move out of that sympathetic fight and flight, mm-hmm. move into the parasympathetic, that could be the beginning of some healing
3: yeah and and so, what I will always tell my clients is my job as a physical therapist is to help your body move into a parasympathetic state via breath via movement via maybe some specific exercises, maybe some different manual techniques that I use um but also um it's probably gonna be helpful to build a team, so whether that's a uh, meditative coach whether that's your your movement yoga um coach, uh, mindful or, um, uh, mental health, <laughs> um, counseling, um, because there's other w- also other, um, ways that we can tap into this nervous system that if we don't fully address them, yeah, we won't maybe be able to get things all the way, all the way better.
2: So then once the, Mental states checked in with and you looked at posture. I call it back it up, stack it up where we have the pelvis and the rib cage and the head and every, and all of all our palates, all our domes are well aligned. And and breathing is not, you know, tight and constricted. So once, once the posture and the breath and the mental states checked in on and starting to do well, is that when you start to go into some actual muscle work or what? Okay. So tell me a little bit about what that looks like yeah so um so
3: i I like to kind of break it down into planes of movement, so um, we have three planes of motion. we have the sagittal plane, which is sort of front to back, like our like a crunching motion uh frontal plane is side to side, and transverse plane is is rotation and we need to be able to control all three planes of motion for for life for function walking is. Uh, you know, triplanar. All of our muscles are working in all three planes of motion, three dimensions um, all the time. And so when we're working on sort of rehabilitation, um, when someone, you know, postpartum is really in that more, you know, extended position where nothing's stacking up really um, the way we like, um, we want to really own the the sagittal plane first so, um you know you have ribs over pelvis, being able to balance tension in the pelvic floor front front to back um and then so that could also involve strengthening right that could involve strengthening abdominals, that could involve strengthening hamstrings or adductors, um but we're gonna keep it in a more simplified plane, and then, as someone's progressing, we could now start to challenge them maybe more in a frontal plane, a side to side um motions, and then gradually then more rotational movements and challenge and then load, and then gradually loading all of those things to then more closely resemble the activities that they want to be able to do. So if that's running or jumping or, um, you know, Olympic lifting, we're going to kind of build a program that is going to kind of give them the step-by-step guide into whatever that activity is.
2: Mm that's helpful to know so that because i think that we're giving people oh, you not me you're giving people some great ideas about kind of the checking in and then at some point they may need some some strengthening and some do you ever do internal yeah. release work if someone's just super constricted yeah absolutely
3: um typically how i like to approach sort of internal release work is um We want to, if we find an area of tension in the in the pelvic floor that um, that we want people to be able to um, appreciate where that is, and then pair that up with a specific exercise that's going to help continue to address that issue. So, for example, um, I see a lot um, in clinical practice of like right obturator internus muscles that. Um, like to be overactive. So the obturator internus is actually not part of the pelvic floor. It's part of the pelvic wall. Um, and it will, it often likes to kind of take over or help, um, try, it's trying to help the pelvic floor, but that's not really, it's, it's not great at it. <laughs> um, and can cause pain and, and, um, just other issues. And so we want to, um, are, Potentially release that obturator and that can oftentimes release a lot of symptoms in the pelvis itself. Um, but then we want to give an activity to maybe work the um, opposite structure that's maybe weak. So a lot of times when we see these sort of over dominating right obturators, we will see kind of a left anterior pelvic flora that's not, um, giving the opposite side of the pelvis to support it beans or a left abdominal wall. That's not balancing out that, that tension on the, the pull to that, to that side. So, um, so we are, we are going to do the release, but really mindfully with knowing that we are also going to oppose um, the why, like why, why is that obturator holding on? Well, potentially it's holding on because we, we have, um, Poor left rib cage control. Um, and that's keeping us oriented right.
2: So just for listeners, deep obturators. I think <laughs> of those as the deep hip rotators.
3: Yep. Yep. They're a deep hip rotator and they, um, on the, the front of your, your pelvis, there's, um, kind of a hole <laughs> and the obturator fills in that, that. That hole, it's a very cool muscle. It, it, like it I is know, a very I, cool I muscle. I think it is
2: too. <laughs> so, um, so I've been doing some gentle release with a tennis ball to the mm-hmm. inside of the sit bones. Is that yep. okay? That's okay. Cause yeah. as you're saying like, yep. okay. so <laughs> the, the, um,
3: the, where the obturator comes around. So the obturator, um, belly sits inside the pelvis and then loops around the sit bone and attaches on the hip. And so yeah, you can get in there under the sit bone to kind of access some of those fibers of the the obturator um externally, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's great.
2: It's painful, but it's helpful. Like it's painful yeah. to the point cuz I I do a lot of, you know, yoga and exercise and weights and cycling and they yeah. get really tight and I I realized that I think one of the reasons my first child's birth was so challenging is because I never... And this was about 10 years ago. I don't feel like we talked about the pelvic floor quite as much back then. (laughs) I never released anything. And I was a dancer Mm -hmm. for years. So I'm quite confident. I went into that birth with my pelvic floor probably tight and weak and just like lifted the hell up. And (laughs) my psoas is probably like, we're not budging. And so ever since then... It feels like we need to find that balance. So, yeah, I've been doing the, and I've been instructing students, you know, palpate the inner edge of your sit bones. How does it feel? Is it tender? That might be a sign that we need to release.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And figuring out how do we, yeah, how do we breathe down into that area that's, that's maybe holding, holding tension. And, and then, yeah, like some of the, the kind of postural things that have evolved over people's entire lives. So, in gymnastics and dance, we see a lot of, um, a lot of difficult birds, um, because the external rotation of the femurs and the external rotation of the, the pelvis and kind of the, the gymnastics and dance stance itself is actually an, is external rotation. And so the obturators as a, as a deep hip rotator, um, are working.
2: They're and, working. <laughs> and really
3: the posterior pelvic floor in that, in that position will also be kind of tight and short. Yeah. Um and then pulling that pulls toward the front making the front of the pelvic floor kind of on tension also. Um but just in this, you know, and not of the in yoga the workouts
2: of... too. I see mm-hmm. you see I wonder if you do see that cuz um most of the poses are these big celebration of external rotation, so we're constantly looking up and kind of making poses up to find mm-hmm. internal rotation, which I think yes. is highly unappreciated. Just my yeah, sense. In, yeah <laughs>
3: internal rotation control is is like half of what
2: <laughs> I feel like it's just the, underappreciated. No one appreciates yeah, like, internal we're, rotation.
3: We're we're there's some new newer studies that are looking at like the three dimensional shape of the pelvis. Um, of birthing people and deep squatting hip knees, um, knees in feet out yes. um, are actually increasing the dimensions of that yes. posterior pelvic floor. And so, um, if we're what, you know, yes, that's a very cool application for birth, but there is lots of other, um, mm-hmm. other times where we can still use those, um, that biomechanical awareness to optimize how we're strengthening a pelvic floor and and balancing a pelvic floor for sure.
2: I get very excited about internal rotation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I tell my students when we, if you can have, I, uh, Lamaze came up with this saying, squeeze the knees, birth of these. So when we can angle the knees in and find mm-hmm. the widening of the sit bones. I get very excited about yep. that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. at what point should somebody seek professional help if they've tried a lot of these things? Okay. They've tried to, they tried to have they're they've checked in into their posture and their breathing and meditation. And maybe they've even done a little tennis ball to the the inner sit mm-hmm. bones. Where do they, at what point do they like my pelvic floor issues just need professional help? Where, where's that line that you see?
3: Yeah. I think, um, anytime we're dealing with like urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, um, uh, anytime we're dealing with, Yeah. Pain that in the, anywhere in the pelvis that could be in the back or the, the hips or the front or back of the, the pelvis. Um, and, but I guess really it's more so than really any of those markers is like, is this impacting your life? Mm -hmm you know how do you how do you feel that this is impacting your your quality of life is this something that's on your mind all the time is this something that's distracting you or stopping you from doing the things that you love to do mm. and and if the answer is is yes then and then there's there's absolutely help um you know sometimes sometimes it's not the right time um you know even in postpartum if there are things that are going on but it's it's more overwhelming to go and, and seek support than it is to just sort of carry on for a little while um, i think that's okay too mm. um and so if it's if it's the timing if if it's impacting how you want to live your life and um it's accessible and it's um it's available then then I think everyone should do. I do too. I I actually,
2: I've had students that come from France and I'm like, go back home for postpartum. It's part of your, it's part of your healthcare that you get pelvic floor PT. It's, it's a shame that it's not available to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, yeah, which is,
3: which is really why I started doing more on social media and putting more stuff out in the, in the world, like the podcast, because it just, a lot of it, a lot of the, the basic information feels like it's something that we should have all been taught, right? Yeah. Like learning about vulvar care, I feel like is something that we should have learned in, in school. And so, um, so I'm always, I always want to share as much information as I can always.
0: Oh,
2: I appreciate that. I love when people can learn about their bodies and take ownership and feel empowered and not and not embarrassed. We're gonna take a quick break and we come back if you can share one tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new and expectant parents. And it can be from your hat as a pelvic PT or as a parent. Whatever you want to share. We'll be right back.
0: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper?
2: What is something that is just jumping from your mind that you want to share?
3: Oh, let me see. Did I... Okay. So hmm, what is my big piece of advice? I think hmm, that's tricky. I mean, I have lots of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it is, that it's, that it takes time, right? That healing takes time. And, um, coming into your, you know, place as a parent, understanding your kiddo, understanding your body and the changes that your body have, have gone through is a process and it's not going to all happen in one day. And, um, it's okay if, there's good days and it's okay if there's bad days and, um, it's all part of the, it's all part of the process.
2: I like that. (laughs) I like that. Where can people find your work?
3: Yeah. So I, um, I'm fairly active on Instagram. So my handle there is Haley Kava PT. Um, and then I also, um, I have a podcast called the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast that I host with my good friend and fellow uh, pelvic floor PT as well, Addie Holzman. And my website is pt.com.
2: Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I really get so lit up when we can talk about pelvic floor stuff. I'm like, yeah. literally like, smiling, giggling. It was so exciting. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge.
3: Of course. Yeah, my pleasure.
2: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
1: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs)